0: Good morning everyone again. We are so glad to have you here with us today. Did you enjoy yesterday? Did you get outside and enjoy the day yesterday? All right, good. Some of you did. Uh, We got to go out and enjoy a number of yard sales. I don't know if any of you got to do that. Maybe some of you had a yard sale and you made lots of money. Doubtful that that happened, but uh, typically, this, like, it just everyone came out of the woodwork yesterday, I felt like, and so it was just nice to be out and about. It was good to be able to spend some time with family. Our, our time on our weekends is, is usually pretty limited, uh, but it was pretty neat yesterday. We didn't have anything scheduled, and we just got to be a family and, and be in the neighborhood and go to the farmer's market and all those types of things, which is good. It's good because our kids are growing up. I don't know if you knew this, but little kids be get, get bigger and they're not little kids anymore. And some of you have been telling us this for years, and now that I've got two kids that are in middle school, I'm starting to realize that the time is getting away from us. So I wanna share this morning a story. Do you remember the London Olympics? Does everyone remember that? No? Okay. (laughs) It did happen. I don't know if you're aware, yeah. In 2012 there's the London Olympics and we have pictures of our family. We did a mini London Olympics in our backyard and so we set up little trampoline stations and we set up little uh, uh, things where they crawl under something, I don't know what they were crawling under. Like they're just going over things and then we handed out medals to everybody and we have got the victory thing standing in the backyard and we had a good time with that. So. So the 2012 Olympics, if you remember her name was Gabby Douglas, she won in the gymnastics. Uh, She was like a 16, 17-year-old American gymnast, the tiny little girl, and she won the all-around and then the team won Olympic gold. And my girls were just mesmerized by this girl. And so because they had completed the backyard obstacle course and gotten gold medals in that, uh, the next day, Dalia came, she was six or seven years old at the time, uh, she came into our bedroom the next morning and decided that she would like to sign up for the next Olympics. She had figured out a number of years, She's, and, and and one of those things, like as a parent, like you're excited, you're like, okay, like, the sky's the limit, have a good time, enjoy it, but but my wife Erin decided this was a situation where like real life for some reason in this six-year-old little body we needed to give her the reality of life you're never gonna be a gymnast you have no future in this stop dreaming quit trying there's no reason at all to go any farther because then she shared with her listen if you look, and she pulled up the Wikipedia, and you can pull it up too, the way that Gabby was taken away uh, from her parents and spent years and years in this training environment and had this coach that she lived with and, and put all of her time and all of her effort when she was six years old, so that when she was 16, she was able to compete at the highest level. And Aaron was very serious with her and said, Dalia, are you prepared for this type of commitment? And Dahlia decided to go get a book and read about the Olympics instead of actually try to participate in the Olympics. Walt Disney said, if you dream it, you can do it. And He dreamed a lot and he built a lot and he did a lot. In the movie Field of Dreams, Kevin Costner says, if you build it, they will come. I wish you'd remember some of my sermons as well as you remember that line. Yeah, take, someone's taking notes. Yes, that was Kevin Costner. That's not in scripture. Ronnie Lott, you've heard of him as well. If you can believe it, he says, the mind can achieve it. And he goes around as a motivational speaker, these types of grab a hold of it, seize the day, and you can have it. In Romans 10, 9, we're going to get there today, uh, the Apostle Paul says, if you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. If you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. But I'm using this as an opening this morning because I want to be able to share with you that the devil believes in his heart that Jesus is the Messiah, and yet he is not going to be saved. We need some clarification there. Satan's demons, when confronted by Jesus Christ, they cry out in Luke chapter 4, I know who you are. You are the Holy One of God. Or in Luke chapter 4, they say, you are the Son of God. Or Luke chapter 8, what have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High? So Satan and all of his forces and his demons have no doubt about the true identity of Jesus Christ. He is the Son of God. He is Lord of all. And yet we are certain that we will not see Satan or his demons in heaven someday. And so everyone in this room is faced with this most important question. Is my acknowledgement of Jesus as Lord and my conviction that God raised him from the dead like Satan's, which leads to destruction, or the Apostle Paul's here? which leads to salvation. My goal this morning is to be able to share with you in a way that that everyone will go out of this room confident with hope. As the sermon title is, this we want the increasing of your faith today by this message, that hope would lead us in it, that God raised Jesus from the dead and that through this confidence you and I are saved. I don't merely want to teach you some more information so that we say, Lord, we believe in your resurrection and yet remain lost. No, we've got to get farther than that. I hope to appeal to your mind so that your heart is moved, so that your heart will respond for the sake of your salvation. That's where we're going this morning, And so those statements that I started with, if you can dream it, you can do it, or if you build it, they will come, or if you believe it, the mind can achieve it, there are some limitations to those statements that we're going to have to dig through here in Scripture and realize the difference between a statement that's about good dreams and hopes and efforts and what the Almighty God has done for you and for me. We are in a sermon series called We Have This Hope. We're in the second week of the sermon series, so if you look on the screen, that's why there's a number two there. I don't know if you ever wonder why sometimes there's a number in front of it. This is the second week of the series. We are in Romans chapter 10 this morning. Would you get your Bibles out and turn to Romans chapter 10. If you don't have your own copy of God's Word this morning, there is a Bible in the pew in front of you. If you're someone who wants to follow along digitally, Uh, You can use the U Version Bible. And I will tell you this morning, I'm allowing you to get your phones out if you have not already downloaded the app for the U Version Bible. You need to do it this morning at the beginning of the message. Check. Facebook or Instagram, whatever, but get this thing downloaded. By the end of the message, I want you to do something with it. So if you are, uh, if you have a hard copy of God's Word this morning, you'll be able to write in there, and that's where we're going with that. But if you have only a digital version, I want you to be able to respond and actually do something this morning. So if you don't have the ability to respond uh, and, and take action, I want you to download that here at the beginning of the message, okay? Everyone track with me so far? All right, so you've got a white sheet of paper in your bulletin this morning. It allows you to see where we're going with the message today. Romans chapter 9, verse 30, going into chapter 10, is your first fill-in this morning for the first point I want to make as we pull this passage out today. This is the point, why works alone will weaken your faith. I told you that the point of today's message is about strengthening your faith, but why works alone will weaken your faith. That's your first fill-in for you this morning. Beginning in chapter 9, verse 30, it says this. If you're following along in the Pew Bibles, are on page 1186. Why works alone will weaken your faith. Verse 30, what shall we say? The Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained it, a righteousness that is by faith. But, or however, the people of Israel who pursued the law as the way of righteousness have not attained their goal. Why not? because they pursued it not by faith, but as if it were by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone. I use the illustration of the Olympics there at the beginning to to kind of get your mind thinking about pursuing a goal. And we're finding here that the Gentiles or those who did not know anything about the religious matters of the day that the Apostle Paul is writing about here. It says they have achieved the goal. But the Jews, those who, who had every opportunity, who pursued the law as a way of righteousness, have not attain their goal go forward a few verses to chapter 10 verse 4 it says Christ is the culmination or some of your translations say the end of or the completion of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes Imagine, if you will, with me this morning, a woman who attends church, an elderly woman who has attended church for years. She's been very involved in the church. She's, she's a woman who, who served in her early days as one of the, the children's workers at VBS, but now she's no longer able to do that. She's uh, serving a different way. She's not a Maryland law. Maryland law has got like 50 years worth of serving at VBS. But this woman has moved on. She's served in other ways in the church. She's been very involved in the church. She's involved on every board. She served on the missions board. She served in every single way that you could possibly imagine there at the church. But she's done so the entire time while her husband has been critical of her and has never attended church any of those years, never been involved at any time. And in fact, he's actually pretty, gives a lot of animosity towards what she's doing. He mocks her often for being involved in the local church. And on Sundays, he lets her know, I'm going to go baptize some worms while you're over there at the church. Some of you got that. That means he's going fishing. Okay, you got that? You tracking with me? So I say he's baptizing some worms. He's going fishing. Okay, with me. So she's involved. She's doing all kinds of things. The husband is this mean-spirited person, and one of the things that she feels like she wants to get bonus credit for is all of these years dealing with her obstinate husband. Well, in the ending their late years, the husband gets sick. And while he's in the hospital and while he's weak, all of a sudden he's suddenly more aware of his own frailty and becomes more aware of his need for assistance, his need for help. And ultimately he calls out on the Lord for his need for a savior, realizing that he cannot do this thing called life on his own. Certainly eternity is going to go badly if he does not give his whole life to Christ. He gives his life to Christ, he calls him his savior, he turns himself over to him and passes away. This story is fictional, but at the same time I got to know a man at a previous church named John Van Everdingen. He'd been involved in the church, he'd served on committees at the church, but he was very clear that he was not one of those church people. He wanted nothing to do with the religious ways of the day, and when we started our church plant in this building where he had been, and the church there had closed, this Episcopal church had closed, and when we came in and started doing a new thing in this building, he just swung by and started bugging us eventually, getting involved in some of the things that were happening there in church. And two years later, a man that we affectionately called Shuffle (laughs) Upagus. Because every Sunday for some reason we would be teaching or preaching and, and, and the man would just do a lot. He would come down, shuffle his way around the front, and then go back up the other aisle. I don't know why. I have no idea why. And he would usually spill his coffee at the corner as he came around. But I got to be there when this time he shuffled his way up the aisle and he stopped. In the middle of me leading songs, leading worship, and he called me over to him and he said, I've accepted Christ. I'd like to tell everybody about it. And he was in his 80s. It's a beautiful thing. But he was a mean spirited man. He had a foul mouth. He had, I mean, just, he was a difficult person to be around. But in his final days, He gave his life over to Christ. And I got to be there at his funeral and we got to tell that story to celebrate the way God had changed this man's life in the final corner, the final lap as he shuffled his way on into glory. Now his wife has been involved very long in the church. Now, again, I'm going now to a fictional situation, okay? Okay. So let's say the wife continues to serve the church, she's been involved, but now she is old and she is going to die and go, where is she going to go? And that question is being asked, on what basis do you get to heaven? On what basis do you stand in in front of God and be able to say, my life is here before you, on what basis? And if this woman in this story, in this fictional story says, well, all good people go to heaven, God, you know how long I've dealt with my ridiculous husband over the years. You know how nice I have been. You know how I have been busy there at the church for the last 50 years. You know that I have been good. She's been trusting in her own righteousness, this passage teaches. The mean old man goes to heaven and the nice old lady goes to hell. How does that happen? How do we... Reconcile that. How does Scripture teach that? Well, if we look here, we see that those who did not pursue righteousness have obtained it. They have reached the goal because that righteousness is by faith. But the people of Israel who pursued the law as a way of righteousness, or good deeds or good works, have not attained their goal. They have stumbled over this stumbling stone of assuming that doing enough good things was going to adjust, and set their eternal destiny. Let's go further into this. Here's your second feeling for you. Why yielding your heart will build your hope. Why yielding your heart will build your hope. You see, if if we live life and we realize that works alone end up weakening your faith, because you start to think that you can do it in your own strength, you don't need to have faith in anybody else. Why yielding your heart will build your hope, beginning in verse 5 of chapter 10. Moses writes this about the righteousness that is by the law. The person who does these things will live by them, he says. But the righteousness that is by faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. What does it say? The word is near you, it is in your mouth, and it is in your heart. That is the message concerning the faith we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. It is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. All right, there's a ton to unpack there. I'm moving very quickly through this passage, but how yielding your heart will build your hope. He goes to the Old Testament. If you think about the situation that Israel is in, when he talks about the righteousness that is there by the law, you see God meets with Abraham, and he talks with Abraham and gives him this promise that he was going to be God's chosen people, that his lineage would be God's chosen people, and we learn about Abraham and his son Isaac and his son Jacob. And Jacob goes in, if you remember, into Egypt where they, they are first saved from the famine, but then it becomes a slave situation where now they're enslaved to the people of Egypt, and they want to get out, and God sends them Moses so that they can be rescued and pulled out from the situation. And the people of Israel are very excited because they said, God must love us because He has pulled us out of this slavery. He's pulled us out of this awful situation, and He's pulled us out. And so now they go with Moses, and they start making their way back to what? The promised land. As they make their way to the promised land, they come to a place called Mount Sinai on part of their journey. As they get to Mount Sinai, that's there that God gives them the Ten Commandments. That's there that God gives them the law by which they are to live their lives. That's where the, the, the Moses was able to share with them what God was speaking to them. God literally spoke the words to Moses and he shared it with them that they would need to obey God, that they would need to rely on him. And in doing so, he would bless them He would protect them, He would care for them. But only a couple of generations passed. Only a few more leaders come to light and we realize that no, they are not relying on God. No, they are not choosing to follow Him. No, they are no longer in love with God. Now that the, the, the comfort has started to be there, now they are starting to go through trials and they are not turning back to God through that process. And the prophets tell us and they show us that there is going to be a need for a Messiah who would come. They would need a Savior because in and of themselves, they were unable to live a life that relied on God. In and of themselves, they were unable to go to Him in time of need. They were unable to obey Him in their own strength. They were unable to trust Him in their own strength, and so they would need the Messiah. They would need to yield their heart to something, someone else. I'm with my daughter. Uh, is beginning to take horse riding lessons. And I grew up riding a horse. I don't know, any of you know anything about horses? Would you raise your hand? There's two of you. Okay, three, four, okay, a few of you. So if you've grown up around horses or if you've taken riding lessons or anything like that, the thing that you ride a horse with is a saddle, but then you put in the horse's mouth a bit and bridle in the horse's mouth. This is how you direct a horse. This is how you control a horse. This is how you move a horse around. And there's a ton of different bridle types, a ton of different bits that are, some of them are really pretty brutal, uh, particularly in the wild, wild west, they would use some pretty vicious bridles and and bits on their horses. And then now modern day, there are some that are more uh, designed like the Native Americans used to use. That was, it's not even in their mouth, it's just over. Over uh, the, the horse's nose, the bridge of their nose, you can control a horse like that. But if you've ever tried to ride a horse who you just can't seem to get to them, you can pull on that bridle and you can pull on that bit in any direction and the horse still goes wherever the heck it wants to go. And you can't figure out what is this horse's problem. And so you sit down and have a conversation with the horse. You invite them to join you in what you are already doing. No, you grab the horse's face and you pull it around and you try to direct it in the way. And you you will pull on a horse's face and you will pull that bit in their mouth and you will turn them in every direction. And I've been on horses that you can have their head all the way up on your hip and they will continue to walk in the other direction. You see, it's a matter of of the mouth, and matter of the heart. Because when the horse is with you, it'll go anywhere you ask it to go, and you barely have to do anything. And a lot of times, the whole relationship between a horse and rider is all about connecting two hearts together. That's what's really exciting about riding a horse. If you've been through that process and gotten to really get serious about it, there's a connection there that's like a a man's best friend, an owner with his dog. The same thing happens between a horse and rider. That connection between horse and rider is real. And you can go anywhere that you want because you're connected one to another, one to another. Yielding your heart will build hope. See, what the Apostle Paul is talking about here is yielding your heart and stop fighting that and start, start realizing that, yes, you can turn your mouth and say the right things, but if your heart never turns, you're still heading in a different direction. You see, the, the, the Apostle Paul here uses examples. Uh, there's different quotes here that are coming from the book of Leviticus, the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, the, continuing through the passage, we, we hear quotes from Isaiah and Joel. All these different connections to the Old Testament. All these different ways that the law is foreshadowing the Messiah. How, how the law is really, uh, the culmination has come true with the Messiah who's come to the earth. And his name is Jesus Christ. Pastor Brian, at some point, wants to, he would love to have a sermon preaching series on the book of Leviticus... He wants to go through Leviticus and be able to share the gospel with you in Leviticus. If we do that, I will probably take three or four or six weeks off and let him do that. Now that's why these quotes are here, friends. That's why the Apostle Paul is going back and giving us quotes from Leviticus and Deuteronomy. Because the gospel is there. It's real. It comes alive. Verse 11, the scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. There will be no difference between the Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him or all whose hearts yield to him. Here's your third fill-in for you this morning. See, this is why the gospel will bridge God's love to all. This is why the gospel will bridge God's love to all. Jump down to verse 16. But not all the Israelites accepted the good news. And then he gives some examples. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? He's looking around and says, the good news is being shared. This is Isaiah talking. I'm talking about the goodness of God here. Is there anyone listening? Is there anyone who is believing the message that we are proclaiming? Consequently, faith comes by hearing the message. And the message is heard through the word about Christ. Then he asks these questions. He says, didn't they hear? Of course they did. Their voice has gone out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world, he says. Again I ask, didn't Israel understand? First, Moses says, I will make you envious by those who are not a nation. I will make you angry by a nation that has no understanding. And then Isaiah talks about it as well. I was found by those who did not seek me. I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. So concerning Israel, he says, all day long I've held out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. You see, not all Israelites accepted. The Hebrews did not want any of what was being shared here. You see the good news is being talked about here. You see the messages being told. You hear the messages being shared. The, the question is, are they going to act on the message? You see why the gospel will be a bridge that God's love will go out to all people is like this. My father, for some reason. Uh, when he built, uh, he, he bought a house that was foreclosed on and he has this whole acreage in the back of the, of the house that he, it was, it was in bad disrepair. And little by little he was able to go through, there's a vine down there and he lives in South Carolina, it's called Kudzu. And kudzu grows up and pulls down on trees. And it, it's a vicious vine, really. It kills all the different uh, vegetation there. And so this kudzu was everywhere. And it's pulling down trees and, and that type of thing. And over a couple of years' time, he was able to kill off the kudzu. And all of a sudden, he had this what looks like a park behind his house. It's a beautiful thing. And so in that process of, of cleaning that all up, there's this little uh, creek that runs across the back of his property. And he owns a little postage stamp on the other side of the creek, and he also started to remove the kudzu from there and started to get this little area on the other side of the creek. And he decided that he wanted to be able to take his riding lawnmower from this side of the creek to the other side of the creek. He wanted to expand his horizons to the other side of the creek. And so what that meant is that we were called in, the the cousins, the nieces, the nephews, the sons, daughters, we were going to do a bridge building to get ourselves across the creek that we could ride a lawnmower across the street, uh, the creek from one side to the other. So myself and my brother-in-laws uh, were the, the first wave of the guys who had to come and help, and we all stood there and shook our heads at my dad's ridiculous idea of uh, how are we going to get across this creek and why did it matter, and we all envisioned my dad going out to the center of this bridge, the bridge snapping in half and dropping his riding lawnmower into the creek. We didn't know what we were doing. We didn't ask for an engineering plan. My dad's a farmer. He just got some sticks and started throwing stuff together. Long story short, he built the bridge. And usually once, twice a week, he drives across the bridge to the other side, mows the grass on the other side, and he has this little park, if you will, on the other side of the creek. It's pretty beautiful. It's pretty nice. And most people, when they come over to the house, the thing that they comment on most is, wow, this is a beautiful piece of property. Look at that bridge you've got over there. And all of us shake our heads and mock him quietly off to the side. A few years ago, if you remember, Nick Walenda walked across the tightrope over Niagara Falls. It was televised. It was just a incredible thing. Earlier though, much earlier, there's a man named Charles Blondin who used to do this really spectacular feat where he would go across the tightrope above the falls and he would go back and forth, and then he would take a wheelbarrow and he'd push a wheelbarrow back and forth across the tightrope. And then he'd fill the wheelbarrow full of, a, of stones or something of significant weight. And he would run that thing back and forth across the tightrope. And then he turn to the crowd. You've heard the story. He turns to the crowd and says, do you think it's possible that I could take a man in this wheelbarrow across the tightrope and back? And the whole crowd cheers and they say, yes, we think you can. Who's going to get in the wheelbarrow? Who's going to get in the wheelbarrow? You see, what happens here is the gospel will bridge God's love to all, but the Israelites were afraid or refused for one reason or another to cross that bridge. They were refusing to get in the wheelbarrow. God had made a way. He had demonstrated that his way was true and holy and just. All they had to do is put their trust in Him, specifically in His Son, Jesus Christ. And the gospel would bridge His love to all. So here's what I want to do with you this morning. The last few minutes I have with you today... I want you to interact a little bit here because when we're talking about the gospel, sometimes we're talking about it in a very ethereal manner. I want to get very specific and very practical with what I'm talking about here this morning. So take a pencil out from the pew in front of you. I want you to be able to take out your Bibles. I want you to be able to write in your Bibles here this morning. Uh, if you are using that U version, you can actually look up the scripture that I'm going to give you. Uh, I, I checked it ahead of time. You can you can uh, connect different passages of scripture, and then actually, ha- so if you highlight this first passage, which the first passage will be Romans chapter one, if you highlight that, you'll be able to add another passage that follows it, and you can have about six passages here that connect one after another using your U you version Bible. That you will then be able to, at the end of the service, if you choose, you can share that with someone to be able to articulate and share the gospel. What is the gospel truth? And we're talking about what is the gospel? What is it that we are trying to communicate? What is it that is the wheelbarrow that's going across this bridge that needs to be shared with everyone? The gospel truth is this. God's only son provides everlasting life. God's only son provides everlasting life. So what I want you to do in your front cover of your Bible, in the front cover of your Bible, I want you to be able to take, there's usually a blank page in the front of your Bible, and at the top of that page, I want you to write the gospel truth. Write the words, the gospel truth. And these are in the fill-ins for you in your bulletin, so you can kind of bounce back and forth. You say, what is the gospel truth? You write the gospel truth across the top of the page, and we'll begin to fill in these things for you today. It's an acronym beginning with this, G is for God. G is for God. So on the inside of that first page, what you're going to do, G is for God, and you're going to write the passage, Romans chapter 1, verse 20 and 21. Romans chapter 1, verse 20 and 21. You see, as we've been making our way through the book of Romans, the gospel is being laid out here very specifically for us. Some of you know this as the Roman's road. I want to be able to communicate to you very succinctly what this is. Verse 20 to 21 says, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power, His divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood for it has been made so that people are without excuse. G is for God. This is the bottom line, friends. God exists and I matter to Him. This is the gospel truth. God exists, and I matter to Him. So if you are using the Pew Bibles in front of you, what you would do here, you would turn to page 1177. And friends, if you're writing in our Bibles here in the Pew, that is totally fine. If next week someone picked that Bible up in front of you and they opened up here, they got to see the gospel laid out in front of them, that would be perfectly fine for me this morning. The gospel truth needs to be communicated. Begin in Romans chapter 1, verse 20, God exists, and I matter to Him. So at the top of that page, in Romans chapter 1, you're going to write at the top of the page right here, God exists and I matter to Him. God exists and I matter to Him. G is for God. See, since the creation of the world, we believe, yes, that God Himself spun this earth into orbit, that God Himself spoke things into existence, and He Himself believes in you and me and cares for you and for me. And that all of the world demonstrates this. He has been made known to you and to me. He has been made obvious to you and to me. And I matter to him. Here's your second fill-in. O is for only. On the inside front cover, you write the word O is for only. Romans 3.23. Romans 3.23. Only God is holy. My sin separates me from Him. Only God is holy. Only God is holy. Verse 23, Romans 3, 23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of what? The glory of God, the perfection, the beauty, the awe-inspiring nature of God Himself. We have all fallen short of that. I shared last week about going to a track meet. I, I was a pole vaulter in high school and, and there's something about going over the bar. Well, guess what? The bar is so incredibly high that we as human beings will never have the opportunity to go over that standard because God is holy and I am not. And my sin is offensive to Him. My sin is offensive to Him and it separates me from Him. O is for only, only God is holy. So on page 1179, if you were using your pew Bibles at the top of that pray, page, you would write, only God is holy. My sin separates me from Him. And you underline that verse. You circle that verse. You make it obvious. Then you're going to turn a page to Romans chapter 5, verse 8. S is for son. The son of God sees my guilt and yet loves me still. Look at verse 8. But God demonstrates His own love for us in this, while we were yet sinners. Friend, if you are here this morning and you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, if you are coming in and you've polished yourself up real good today, you've got your shirt in and time, and you feel real good walking in. The gospel the truth is that it was while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. The Son of God demonstrates His love for this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. P is for provides. P is for provides. Romans 6.23 says this, "...providing payment for my sin, Jesus died and rose again. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord." Most of you have jobs. You work, you get paid. At the end of the week, the end of the month, twice a month, whatever it is, you get payment for the wages. You get wages for what you have done. You get payment for the work that you have done. New York State requires that if you are employed by an employer, that that employer, after you work those days, has to pay you for your work. For the wages of sin is death. But... The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus our Lord. You see, our payment is never sufficient. Our payment has been paid, providing payment for my sin. Jesus paid for my sin and for yours by dying on the cross and rising again. Turn your page over a few pages to page 1186 and we get to E is for everlasting E is for everlasting. So in that front cover, you're writing E is for everlasting. You're writing Romans chapter 9, or 10 verse 9. You're highlighting these verses, 9 through 10 and 13. E is for everlasting. The everlasting, the never giving up, always and forever love of God. Verse 9 says, If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord, we just read this, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And explains what it is to say it and believe it. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. It is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. And then 13 repeats it For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. E is for everlasting because once that happens, God demonstrates it's everlasting never giving up, always and forever love for you and for me, just like he did for the people of Israel when they turned their back on him again and again and again. He said, there will be a remnant of you that I will send the Messiah to so that I can save you once again. There's a Savior coming. The Messiah is coming as an always and forever love. What he tells us today is that because his love is everlasting that we will spend eternity everlasting with Him. Which transitions us to the last one, L is for life. Romans chapter 10, verse 15, my life with Jesus starts now, and I will give it away. My life with Jesus starts right now, and because I understand the everlasting love of Jesus Christ, I will give it away, verse 15. Verse 15 on the same page says, And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. Band, will you come forward this morning as they make their way up here? Doesn't the band have some beautiful feet, friends? Josh was playing the organ this morning. And between the first song and the second song, he had to make his special organ shoes. I don't know if you know this. So he had to change, he, he's not in them anymore. His feet are so beautiful, he had to change from his organ shoes to his piano shoes. How beautiful are the feet of Josh Vogel, friends. <laughs> How can anyone preach unless they are sent, friends? We are sent out. L is for life because life starts now and we are called to give it away. We are called to share this gospel truth again and again and again. Are you bringing this good news? I'm asking you this morning to be able to to mark your Bibles in a way that you would be able to share this good news with someone else very clearly, very distinctly, be able to share with them this gospel truth. I'm asking you to mark that in your Bibles, or I'm asking you this morning, if you were one who was following along in your phone, if you are using that YouVersion app and you added those verses, the the end of the options are with that, that phone is to be able to share it. Do you want to share the gospel truth with someone this morning? How easy is that? How beautiful are the feet of those who carry forth, who carry the gospel, one who hasn't heard it before. Ushers, if you'll come forward this morning They've got some beautiful feet too, don't you think? Each week we ask you if you want to fill out a connection card to be able to talk about what God is doing. Just open a discussion. Let's start a a conversation this morning. Because perhaps you're at a spot in your life where you cannot say that very first one, the beginning is really difficult for you. God exists and I matter to Him. You, you, You can't get past that letter of the acronym. I'd love to be able to have a conversation with you. Would you write something out that says, I'm struggling with this. I would love the opportunity to have some beautiful feet as I carry that message to you, be able to just share with you the Gospel. For some of you this morning, responding is, is more than that, because you know the Gospel. It's been clear to you for a long time, but for some reason, you have not been carrying that good news forward. Friends, that doesn't make any sense. If you're, if you're communicating to others that God has transformed your life, that hope lives and resides inside of you, and you're okay with going through the rest of your life with a car in neutral, that doesn't compute for me. That doesn't make any sense. Is God calling you this morning to have some beautiful feet to be able to carry that gospel forward? Remember I told you at the beginning, my desire today is not to build a dream and say, if you believe it, you can do it. No, I want to be able to communicate to you this morning, there is hope because of who Jesus is, friends. There is hope because of the gospel allows us to live our lives in a way that we have purpose and meaning and direction and focus. My desire is for you to walk out of here this morning knowing that God has given you a reason to leave here today with beautiful feet. So Lord, we trust you that your word is clear. We thank you for the Apostle Paul, the way he's articulated himself here in Romans and an easy way for us to be able to share it with others. We trust, Lord, that your word does not come back void or that your word speaks, it divides, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. Lord, if it's piercing this morning, Lord, give people the willingness to step up. And let us be a people. Let us be a church. Let us be a family who walks out of here with some beautiful feet carrying the good news of the gospel. We thank you, Lord. We trust you. We thank you for how you pull us out of the darkness, from our filth. Lord, you know the innermost parts of our heart. You know that vile nature that is inside of us, and yet you continue to work in us. And Lord, you have said that you will save us from that while we are still in the middle of it. If there's any here this morning who are deep in the middle of it, or they know that they need to respond to today's message. Give them the boldness to respond. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.